the book of First Kings in chapter number 3. We'll read some verses there in the word of the Lord. In First Kings chapter 3, it is a privilege again to see you in the house of the Lord. It's a blessing to get to be here. That's the best choir in Harrelson County. And uh, it's been several weeks since we've heard them sing in the choir loft. They did pretty good singing in the congregation. But get their voices together in the choir loft and sing. And I had three or four different ones already tell me I have surely missed that. And uh, I'm sure that uh, many of you who haven't said anything yet feel the same way about it. And uh, miss getting to hear that choir sing together and our voices blend. And there'll come a place and a day when the song will never end. That's a great uh, selection for the choir to sing this morning. And uh, I felt like earlier today I, I went around and made sure that I introduced myself to that uh, uh, to this couple sitting here in the middle and uh, made sure that uh, the gentleman in the overalls, I've forgotten his name now, but uh, appreciate <laughs> them coming. Blessing to see them this morning back in the house of the Lord. You don't know how much we've missed y'all. And uh, Brother, brother uh, Jeff and Sister Linda, and uh, we're thankful to see our second row properly populated over here this morning. And... Uh, I'll have to introduce hey. myself to these strangers when the service is done. But uh, it's a blessing to see all of you in the house of the Lord. Hey, and we love you, and we're so glad that you are here. If you everybody that's found your place in 1 Kings chapter 3, if you found your place or willing and able, I would invite you to stand with us and we'll reverence the reading of the word of the Lord. I don't want to frighten anyone this morning, but I do want to make an acknowledgement today. I forgot to bring my watch with me today. I have no watch on my hand. Brother John said that didn't make any difference anyway, but I did. I'm just telling you. He's, he's sitting down there now saying that all I'm doing is making excuses. That's all it is. Brother Jeff, I'm making excuses. Don't eliminate him for me now. He's trying to give me his watch. and uh, But I can see the clock. I seldom look at actually my watch anyway, so y'all already know that. First Kings chapter number 3. Let's begin reading, if you'll look with me, in verse number 16. First Kings chapter 3, verse number 16. The word of the Lord says, Then there came two women that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. And one woman said, O, Lord, o my Lord, I am this woman dwell in one house. And I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day that after I was delivered, that this woman also was delivered also. And we were together and there was no stranger with us in the house save we two in the house. And this, one, and this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while thine handmaid slept and laid it in her bosom and laid the dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead but when I, when I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son, which I did bear. And the other woman said, Nay, but the living is my son, and the dead is thy son. And this said, and, uh, and this said, No, but the dead is thy son, and the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. Then said the king, The one saith, This is my son that liveth, and thy son is dead. And the other saith, Nay, but thy son is dead, and my son is the living. And the king said, Bring me a sword, 
and they brought a sword before the king. The king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then spake the woman of uh, the woman whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, O oh, my Lord, give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. All Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for standing with us while read the word of the Lord. Last night as I began to share with my girls what the message would be this morning and the message in the meeting Caitlin began to tell me all about this portion of Scripture and this account that happened in the Word of the Lord. It's not one that's preached on a lot. It's a very unusual portion of Scripture, very out of the ordinary. It's not exactly a typical Mother's Day message portion of Scripture to read or text to take. But I want to preach from this portion of Scripture a very Mother's Day message. And the title this morning being that of the marvel of a mother. The marvel of a mother. Now, this is shortly after the death of King David and Solomon, his son, has ascended to the throne. And though he was not perfect and his shortcomings are chronicled even in this chapter, some are, and it certainly are in the scriptures, the Bible does say in verse number 3 about Solomon that he loved the Lord. God spoke to him in a dream and offered to Solomon anything that Solomon asked for. And Solomon asked God for wisdom to judge the people of God rightly as their king. The Lord was so pleased with the request that Solomon had made to him that he did give Solomon wisdom, but he also gave him the things for which he did not ask. And he was honored with riches and with respect and reverence and honor, the likes of which no king before or after him would ever enjoy. Solomon is a man who is a testament to this day. He was a man who learned the importance of godly wisdom from his mother. He walked in the ways of his father David who taught him to love the Lord as a man after God's own heart. But he sought God for wisdom and understanding as he was taught by his mother. Proverbs chapter 31 tells us it is a record of specific instruction of wisdom that Solomon's mother shared with him. And he embraced her teaching, the principle of wisdom, and sought God for it like no other. Furthermore, God gave him wisdom, gave him understanding and discernment. And it was the result of the teaching of a godly mother that brought wisdom into the life of this king. The text which we read today is an illustration of how God used that wisdom in Solomon to make discernment and judgment among the people. These two women, neither of them were moral women whatsoever. The Bible declares them to be harlots. Came to Solomon with a dispute over a dead child. Who was the mother of the living child? Solomon's proposal was 
to take a sword and split the child in half with giving this baby unto them in halves. And of course, if you've split the baby in half, there is no baby to have for anybody. It is a dead child. And my friend, this calls the self-sacrificing love of the mother to offer to give the child to the other woman. I'd rather have my child live and be given to her as to have my child slain and a half of it to be delivered to me. The other woman said, go ahead, kill the child. She didn't care. It wasn't her child. She was not a woman of great moral fortitude. Uh, my friend and her child was dead and she was grieving and she didn't care. She just wanted what she wanted. Solomon knew the real mother was uh, who the real mother was through this and he settled the dispute. The test reveals the marvel of a mother. Even an immoral woman, otherwise not a good example in life, had a heart for her child that was revealed in this time. God has instilled in the heart of a mother something very special. There is an instinct that he uses to nourish children and families. He's even instilled an instinct it, my friend, and mothers in the, uh, in the animal kingdom besides human beings. It's remarkable, in fact, what I see in the hearts and in the lives of human beings who don't even have the care and concern that animals do. I walked out last night and I walked among the cows and fresh, brand new babies standing on the ground. There were some that were a day old, two, three, five days old. Some that were four or five months old and all running around out there. But it's amazing how when those mothers would grunt or when they would moo, their baby knew their voice and would come running to their side. Mothers standing around. And when I walked up close to one that was about a day and a half or two days old, Brother John, that gentle cow that she always would just come up and let me pet her on the head. She comes up and walks right along in between me and that baby and won't let me come around to where that baby is. She even swung her head at me a little bit and grunted some. She didn't hurt me and she didn't aggressively come against me, but she made it abundantly clear, 1,500 pounds worth of shaking head clear, that she didn't want me to have anything to do with that new baby that was there. She was protecting it. It's remarkable to see that instinct that the Lord has instilled in them. And yet there are some in human beings who have denied that instinct and mothers who have forgotten their children. And it is an indicator of the destruction and the deadliness of sin that a mother would forget her baby child. And But my friend, there is an instinct that God uses to nourish children and nourish families. And for those precious few women who will be spirit-filled mothers and wives, God has used them not only to nourish their children, but to literally change the world one family at a time. As I was musing upon this portion of Scripture yesterday, my mind went to some of the great women of Christian history. How what John Wesley's mother, Susanna Wesley, is called the mother of Methodism. She had 19 children total, and 10 of them lived. Her husband at times was incarcerated and sometimes left the family to barely get by. But she was a firm stone of great faith. And my friends, she taught her children the gospel. And she trained them in the scriptures. 
and she prayed for them earnestly. Her son Charles Wesley became possibly the greatest writer of church hymnals in the history of the world. Susanna Wesley raised a boy by the name of John and her son John became a firebrand of gospel preaching established Methodist movement and was one of a handful of gospel ministers who were key players in the establishment of the United States and of a new world of religious freedom and it began in the lap of a mama who prayed over her children and nourished them in the ways of God I thought yesterday about a woman by the name of Elizabeth Newton a largely forgotten figure in history she died of consumption tuberculosis when her son John was only 17 her son became a slaver a sailor who captured men and sold them into slavery but it was her little Bible she left him when she passed that brought him to saving knowledge of Christ later in years Ultimately, my friend, he became not only a born-again child of God, but he who had been a slaver became an abolitionist. He who had been a slaver of men became a preacher of the gospel. And one day he wrote a theological treatise that was also his testimony. And it lives on as the greatest hymn of the church in the world today. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I'm found Was blind but now I see And it began with a little woman named Elizabeth Newton Who shared a precious little Bible with her little boy And did not even live to see what seed had been planted And my friend that would come forth in his life And still be shared in our world today Mama you have no idea what difference you make in the lives of your children Let alone the future of the world around you. The enormity, the magnitude and the place where God has placed you to bring up little boys and little girls in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. A lady by the name of Nancy Hanks came to mind on yesterday as she endured a marriage to a drunken man. Nancy Hanks is her her maiden name by the way. She endured a marriage to a drunken man who abused her and allowed her and her children to live in poverty due to his love of alcohol but she poured her love into her son and she made the little log cabin they lived a place where her son could find love and instruction until she died when her little boy was only nine years old and later in life that little boy grown up would say these words all that I am or hope to be I owe to my angel mother that little boy was President Abraham Lincoln. You do not know what a difference you are making in those that are entrusted to your care. And to my friend, those eternal souls that, my friend, inhabit the bodies of those little boys and girls in your home. Oh, what an enormous task. What a great honor. What a tremendous privilege. What a marvel that God would let you be a mother. If I were to make a list of the greatest Christians that I have ever known Brother John, how the list would not begin with preachers and evangelists and missionaries and deacons. At the top of my list would begin with mothers and grandmothers 
who loved their children, who were devoted to their husbands, who prayed for their pastors, who taught little boys and girls in Sunday school, and who literally changed the world because of it. One preacher said it this way, as go the mothers of the world, so goes the world. As go the mothers in the church, so goes the church. As go the mother in the home, so goes the home. As goes the mother of a daughter, so goes the daughter. Marvelous mother in patience, prayer, purity, purpose, planning and place. The marvel of a mother is what I'm preaching about. It is a gift that the Lord has given unto us. And I praise the Lord for this. So let me share this morning with you for a little while the marvel of a mother. First of all, the marvel of a mother is seen in her devotion. In her devotion to be a godly mother, you will need a strong sense of devotion. Her devotion is spirit-filled, godly mother. Her devotion is seen in how she is devoted to her husband as the head of the house. It's easy, ma'am, to be resentful of leadership. Eve led the way in that, the mother of all living. And the curse of sin includes a rebellion against the leadership system that God has set up for the home. Modern feminism is a portrayal of sin's ugly curse. I want to say that again, and you can write it down and quote me on it. Modern feminism is a portrayal of sin's ugly curse. There is nothing respectable. There is nothing advanced. There is nothing admirable about modern day feminism. How women who despise the leadership that God has set up, they despise the role of women. They despise the role of a mother. They despise the productive role of women in our society. And it is sickening in the nostrils of God. And it is counterproductive to productive society and the well-being of our children and our future. I don't mind saying it publicly. I am anti-feminist. I am anti-destruction of the home. I am against the foolishness that lunatics like glorious Steinem and Hillary Clinton have propagated in our world. It does not take a village to raise a child. It takes a mama and a daddy. It takes a family to raise a child. And all of these things that oppose the family and that oppose the family unit have my friend opposed the purpose of God. Have the devotion of a mother, the marvel of a mother seen in her devotion. And my friend a spirit filled mother is devoted to her husband. Have my friend that Christian wife and mother recognizes her husband and values her role as his helpmeet and as an example of a devoted wife and a devoted mother. I have more respect, my friend. Have my friend for a spirit-filled mother who has made no accolades as far as society is concerned, but has been devoted to her husband and her children. Then I would one that sat on the Supreme Court. Have my friend one that became the queen of a some nation or prime minister, a ruler of some country, or as it were, the leader of the United Nations. I have more respect for spirit-filled mamas. And my friend and wives who love their husbands and love their children and pray, know how to pray and touch the throne room of heaven and praise God for spirit-filled mamas. Amen. Amen. Devoted to her husband as the head of the home. 
It is seen the marvel of a mother seen in her devotion to her home as her greatest honor. Her home as her greatest honor. There is no greater honor in a woman's life than the honor of making a home and having a family. Titus chapter 2 and verse 3 says, The aged women also likewise, that they may be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may be that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, to be chaste, to be keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God might not be blasphemed. Have the greatest honor in a spirit-filled mother's life has to build a home for the honor and for the glory of God. Have devoted to that thing. Have serving the Lord in her place in the home. And I'm grateful for spirit-filled mothers who would do such. I am the product of a spirit-filled mother who was devoted to a home as her greatest honor. And my mother's accolades cannot be counted. And how many public offices she's held or how many dollars she has made. And my friend, how many lives outside the home she's touched, though there have been crowds of them and scores of them through her time in teaching school and Sunday school and music and in loving others and in being a Christian woman. But her greatest accolades may be counted in the lives of her three children and then her grandchildren and even now, great-grandchildren. Amen. Her family is what's important. That's where her greatest honor can be found. Amen. My mom was not super because that she has loads of degrees, though she's graduated a few times with a few degrees. My mama's awesome because she knows how to make a banana pudding from scratch. Amen. And I'm talking the good business. I'm telling you, friend, that's the kind of stuff that ought to, the homemaking skills, the way she can love her children, the devotion she has to her family. I'm telling you, if anything, my mother will never abandon us that she may kill by loving us to death. Amen. Praise God for mamas that love their husbands and love their children and love their families and are devoted to the home as their greatest honor. The marvel of a mother is seen in her devotion. The marvel of a mother is seen in her dignity. I appreciate a day when women used to count it important to have dignity as a lady. Amen. I appreciate the fact that there's still a handful, though that number is getting smaller, it seems, every day, who count the dignity of being a woman as something that matters. Ma'am, it's a wonderful thing. As a man, it is a wonderful thing for me to see that there are still a few women who act like women and not like men. I mean, I never was interested in a woman that ran around dressed just like me, had her hair cut like mine, chewed tobacco, spit and cussed. Amen. I'm telling you, God, help us. The ladies of our day, the women of our day, they're not ladies. The women of our day have almost forgotten what dignity is. The spirit-filled mama ought to teach her little girls the importance of sitting like a girl, sitting like a woman, being gracious in their conduct and in their speech and learning how to be 
a lady. Amen. Feminism deplores the spirit-filled woman. A loving, devoted mothers and committed wives. But there is an eternal dignity that comes with being devoted to a life of family and Christian home. Praise God for the dignity of a mother. Amen. That's exactly right. I remember when I was a little boy, my granddad would say to me, he said, son, you know, when I was a child, he said men was crazy back then. But he said it's gotten to be now to where women are just about as crazy as what men are. I remember a time when I was growing up and it'd be around heathen men and they would talk ugly and say things they should not. And I mean, they'd use language that nobody ought to use. But if a woman walked into the circle where they were, all of that foolishness would stop. They'd cut out that ugly language. They'd stop that ugly talk. They would stop, my friend, that uh, of the cursing and such because they respected the presence of a woman and her dignity. May we get back to that again. May again we learn what it is to teach our boys to open the door for the ladies. Uh, my friend, to say ladies first. I know that kind of stuff is demeaned in our society but it is needed your ladies in your life need to be treated like a lady my friend the little girls in your life sir they need a father that will treat them like a lady and show them how he treats them as well as how he treats his wife my friend what a man is supposed to do and how he treats a woman a young man if your concept of marrying a woman is that if she's going to marry me, she better pull her own weight. She better learn to do her part. She better keep up or else she can't marry somebody like awesome like me. You don't deserve a wife. You probably deserve a good whooping. Amen. How you need to get your act together and learn to treasure the dignity of that precious wife for what God made her to be. As a man that has three children that are daughters, I'm I grieve for the generation that they grew up in. I treasure my daughters. I set them up on a pedestal. I treat them differently than what I would sons. Differently than what my daddy treated me as a boy. Differently than the pressure that I believe needs to be instilled into our sons to teach them to be men. I didn't raise my little girls. Have my friend to go on the battlefield and become Marines. I raised them to grow up and be women. To be feel women to love God and to love their husbands and to love their children and have tried to let them see how my friend that in me in the way that I have treated them and one of these days a time will come and that they will come out from under my watch care and go under the watch care and love and concern of their spouses and I pray that God would give them some people in their lives have some men that are serious about loving their wife and their children and my friend letting my daughters grow up to be women and not have to tow the load in the household that the man is supposed to carry. We have broken our women down in this generation trying to force them to be men. Amen. That's right. Sir, if you were expecting your wife to do stuff you ought to be doing for her, you ought to go home and apologize to her this afternoon. 
Apologize to her for not being a man. Just because you need to shave your face doesn't mean you're a man. Just because, my friend, that you're my friend, old and ugly and whatever else, and you don't look pretty as she is doesn't mean you're a man. It just means that you're a male. And you need to be a man and love your wife. And you ought to take the hard stuff on yourself and try to shield those things off to her. I love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. It's a self-sacrificing love. And then man reverence your husband. Even as you reverence the Lord the same way the church is subject unto Christ. How the Christ that loved us, we are subject unto him. And I don't resent one second of being subject to Jesus. He is the dearest friend that I ever had. He's the lover of my soul. God bless his name. And I'm in love with my Savior and He's in love with me. And that's the way that a relationship between a wife and a husband is supposed to operate. I'm telling you, if you will be the woman that God has chosen for you to be, there is no there is no shame in that. It is a place of dignity and one of honor. Amen. Amen. Eternal dignity comes with living a life devoted to a family in the Christian home. Proverbs 31, 28 says, Her children shall rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. By the way, you know where Sodom learned that? He learned it from his mama. That's what Proverbs 31 is. It is the lessons of a wise mama unto a wise son, the son that we see in our text here this morning. Oh, praise the Lord. Her dignity has not located in the boardroom, in the political circles, or in the social club, but her dignity is found primarily in two things. Her dignity is found in Christ as her Savior. That dignity for the Spirit-filled mother begins with the confidence that there's peace in her soul. That's why a woman like Fanny Crosby can write songs like, Blessed assurance Jesus is mine, despite my friend blindness and the mockery of society, her value, her dignity, her self-confidence is in Christ as her Savior. Oh, my friend, Jesus can cast out the seven devils and make into a great disciple a woman like Mary Magdalene. And now we don't talk about her as though she were that woman she was before she met Jesus. But we rejoice in that precious Mary that was the first of the tomb on the resurrection morning and told the disciples, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Her dignity is first and foremost in Christ as her Savior. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 It's hard for me to listen to. It's hard for me to listen to my wife and my children talk about their self-worth and talk about their value as if they were not valuable because they are valuable to me. My oldest daughter, usually when she testifies, will say something like, I'm not worthy of God's love. And what she's saying is right. What she's saying is right. Nobody is worthy of God's love. But when I hear her say that, though I know it's true, Brother Eddie, it drives a dart through my heart and say, oh no, she's worthy of anything. She's worthy of everything. She's awesome is what she is. But the fact of the matter is, according to God's word, we are none of us worthy of God's love. Oh, but you know what gives us dignity? 
You know what makes us somebody? Jesus loved me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. A man's maybe in your life you've not always had a loving father or a loving husband. Our people around you who value you and treasure you. But I want you to know that Jesus loves you this morning. Oh, praise His name. The most faithful disciples at the cross were women, including the mother of Jesus. The last ones at the grave were women, except for two men who helped them to bury the body. The the first ones at the resurrection morning were women that were gathered there. Oh, the first person Paul preached to when he came to that riverside in the book of Acts was a woman by the name of Lydia who was a convert then of the gospel and began to help him share the gospel of Christ. I'm telling you, Jesus values you and Jesus loves you and you are important to Him. I'm going to tell you something else, gentlemen. We might as well admit this this morning. Were it not for the labors and the investment and the faithfulness and the giving and the attendance of my friend of the ladies at the local church and my friend the church would have long since has sunk in the United States of America. But praise God for spirit-filled women. Praise God for Holy Ghost-filled grandmas having shouted the bobby pins out of their hair and told little Sunday school classes and took their dignity in the place where God put them to serve and rejoice in Christ as their blessed Savior. Hallelujah. Her dignity is found in Christ as her Savior. Her dignity is found in her character as sacred. Her character is sacred. Being chaste, living clean and doing right are the sacred things of the spirit-filled mother. Hallelujah. You ought to do right if ain't nobody does right. My mother used to teach them in school and I had she taught us surely over and over again it's always wrong to do wrong and it's always right to do right. And if you always do right you won't never go wrong. So just do right and you won't be wrong. Over and over again. I mean it was black and white. It was yes and no. There were no places or grounds of ambiguity. Things were very clear. Amen. Character as sacred. Oh give us mamas again that'll look their little girls in the eyes and tell them how important it is to marry with a good conscience having been to my friend friend, and given themselves wholly unto their husbands and may they again teach our children about how important it is to do right and to live right and to tell them to stay away from the wiles of alcohol and the temptations of the devil give us some mamas who'll say again like they did when I was a boy ain't nothing good happening after midnight sign get on home before it's your time to be home or else you're going to have a trouble and my mom would come to the door about that tall and point her finger up in my face so I was a foot taller than her and say I got a bone to pick with you boy I'm telling you I scared to death of my little mama I'd be scared right now if the phone rang and my mama was upset that scared me to death I'm telling you give us some mamas again whose character will be sacred in their lives and then women that my friend doing right matters unto the uh, doing right matters my mom all gold and my great grandmother on my on my daddy's mama's side never had any wealth or recognition 
But I don't know how many times I heard her say something like this. None of our family does them things. You boys and girls aren't heathens. Well, she didn't say heathens. She'd say you boys and girls ain't heathens and the savages. And she'd say do what's right. Y'all are different than the rest of this whole world. Anybody else know the privilege of having a mama like that? Her dignity was found in her moral character and that character she instilled in her family. She used to say about wicked things. Think about this one now. She used to say about wicked things. Now, boys and girls, that's ugly. And God don't like ugly. That's what she'd say. That's ugly and God don't like ugly. Oh, you say, but that's not in the Bible. Wouldn't hurt the Bible to put it in there. God don't like ugly. Oh, may the Lord give us some mamas and daddies that will teach each again our children and our grandchildren how the character is sacred how back a couple of weeks ago we went over to uh, our granny's house and took that old uh, pump organ and moved it out of the house how did I tell about lots of times that uh, my granny Hicks played and pedaled with her feet to pump air through it to play in that organ and uh, how whenever we took the uh, book stand off behind that book stand were the songs of praise and our heroes of faith and all of those books from had new books from the 30s and the 40s all stacked up in there some of them 80, 90 years old that my great grandma used to play and sing out of oh I praise the Lord for that character was her dignity she never lived in a house with a floor in it she didn't know what it was to have running water had a bathroom my friend in the house I walked down in the woods to go to the bathroom she never had my friend more than one or two sets of clothes that came off the rack but it was always something she made with her own hands and they never had been in style they hadn't gone out of style they weren't in style when they were made or at any other time and my friend she never had anything nice or fancy in life my buddies laughed at her when I was a boy because they didn't have good bathing facilities and sometimes she didn't smell well and she always was not dressed just the way that everybody else was had her long hair she'd ball up into a hornet's nest on top of her head and she dipped snuff and they laughed at her about it her dignity was not measured in the way people would measure dignified women in this world oh but when she began to pray hallelujah <laughs> Woo! God would recognize her dignity and the power of God had come down Oh, you know what? She had dignity. She could say hallelujah. I've never had a bottle of alcohol to my lips. Hallelujah. I've never been on the dance floor. Hallelujah. My husband's never been worried about who I stayed out with at night. I've tried to live a Christian life. I've been devoted to God and to my family and my church. Her dignity was in her character. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 I got to tell, I got to move on, but I feel like I need to tell this. Um, yesterday as I was studying, I was also then getting things out, you know, for, for the uh, services today and getting ready, you know, laying out much clothes and all that stuff that I do on Saturday evening. And when I pulled a uh, sport coat out of the closet, 
And I wanted to make sure if I had a handkerchief in the pockets and all that stuff, make sure I had cough drops if I needed in my pockets, all the things I do on Saturday night to make sure I'm prepared for a Sunday sermon. I reached in the pocket and I didn't have a handkerchief in there. It was a sport coat. It was not a suit. Sport coat. And, but I didn't have a handkerchief in that pocket. But I did have a little pamphlet. And it was where I had put in there the, uh, the uh, little, little card from the funeral home. And in this particular time is where uh, Sister Jimmy Sue passed away. And I had that card in my pocket. And I pulled it out and I thought about the service and how precious it was and how, uh, how uh, um, dignified that I felt like that it was and how well it had honored her and her life. And I knew this was a point that I was coming to in the message that her dignity was in her character as sacred. Now, Sister Jimmy Sue loved me and she was good to me, but she wouldn't have liked the fact that I used words like stupid. She'd say that's ugly and God don't like ugly. And so she was very particular and meticulous about things. And she got to the place where her health wasn't well, where she didn't do like she had done, but she got sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. Listen, I have zero confidence that if I lose my thought process, my ability to think, if I lose my ability to control myself, I won't get sweeter. I mean, there is like very little confidence that I have in that. There ain't no telling how mean I'll get. Y'all just have to not hold me responsible for what I do. Help I lose my mind, but she just got sweeter and sweeter till she turned to sugar. Amen. I mean, just loved everybody and everything. And then when she left this old world with her child, as I sat up on that platform that day when they had the funeral, and the preacher beside her, we stood up there to preach, and he made mention of what a good wife she was. Her husband sitting on the front row said, no, she was not a good wife. She was the best. That's what he said. You know why? She maintained her dignity in spite of an indignance. Her suffering the indignance of illness and disease and sickness and all of these things. Her dignity. I was not in house she could wear an evening gown. Her house she could blow her room away by walking into it. I'm not feeling with her elegance or her movie star appearance my friend her dignity was in how she carried herself with character that was someone worth emulating my God give us some young women that will recognize that and grow up to be spirit filled mamas in this generation hallelujah hallelujah the marvel of a mother it's in her devotion it is in her dignity it is in her diligence that we marvel Proverbs 31 tells us of her work ethic, of her care for her family's welfare, and her joy to feed her family the best that she can prepare, prepare for them. Laziness is not the mark of Christian women or men. Amen. 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 I don't know how many times that Brother Eddie's mother has fed me and has taken her care to feed me her best. I've eaten beans at their table and catfish and uh, cornbread and milk. And I've never sat down in their home when his mom and dad were living uh, that she didn't see to it that I had a glass of ice water or sweet tea and a cup of coffee. And usually by the time his dad, and his dad called her Merwin, her name was Marilyn. Marilyn. 
His dad would call her Merwin. He'd say, Merwin, get the preacher some tea. Before he ever said anything, she was already getting me some tea. I'd see into it that I had anything that I could want. I wasn't even thirsty. She'd get me some tea, some coffee, some water, something. Had to wait on me. I don't know how many times. Had she put a $20 bill in my pocket or did some kind of thing for me. Played a song while I was preaching somewhere. Diligent. One of the hardest working women I've ever known in my life. I mean, worked circles around four or five grown men. And she was diligent, friend. Proverbs 31 tells about that woman's diligence, her work ethic, all day after day laboring. In Proverbs 31 13, working diligently with her hands. Proverbs 31 15, with the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. Proverbs 31 19, she layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. As she stretcheth out her hands to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. The virtuous woman of Proverbs 31 is a diligent woman working to care for her family. There is no dignity in a lazy woman who wants to be the queen of her household, but is not willing to be a laboring mother for her children. Amen. And you men already know that I preached the hide off of you on Father's Day and how you ought to work. I believe the average man is so soft, he's not a couch potato, he's a bold potato. I mean, if a raw potato sat on the couch, it'd be tougher than the average man. Amen. Oh, God, help us. But our women in this generation are as bad. And they want to talk about, I want to grow up and have a woman, I have a man treat me like a queen. I'm going to be the queen of his castle and all such as that. God, have mercy. If you want to be a spirit-filled, productive woman that's a blessing to your husband and to your children, you need to have hands of diligence. You need to have a heart to work. You need to have a desire to labor day after day and invest in your family. Day after day laboring. Determination of never lowering your expectations. A spirit-filled mother never loses her determination to continue in the paths of righteousness. Amen. Oh, praise the Lord. I remember when I got to pastor my great-grandmother and she'd come by the door, cane in her hand, and put that cane right up in my tie in the middle of my chest and she'd say, come down to the house. I got some buttered biscuits and sorghum syrup and I want to talk to you a little bit. And I'd go down and sit at the table and drink coffee and eat butter biscuits and a sorghum syrup and she'd butter me up for how she's going to tear me up when she got done. And after she got through feeding me real well, then she'd tell me everything that I was doing that wasn't right and how I should straighten up and all the things that I could do better in my life and in my preaching. And I didn't get angry about that. I thank the Lord for it. At 60, 70 years as a preacher's wife, she had learned a lot of things and she never lowered her standards she never stopped being determined to serve the Lord. Praise God for spirit-filled, diligent mamas and grandmamas. I marvel at the devotion, the dignity, the diligence. I marvel at the discernment they have. Proverbs 31, 26 says of that spirit-filled woman, that wise woman, that she openeth her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. 
The marvel of mother is how she knows the right time to build up. The right time to stand firm. The right time to show kindness. She has a spiritual discernment. And my little granny, whenever she was alive, a member of this church at that time, I had that we had been going through some pretty tight and lean financial times. And I was here pastoring. Of course, I've been the only pastor we've had here. And so I was her pastor. And she was sitting somewhere right along the place where her sister Nancy's sitting this morning. And I had to nail here around on the altar pew or the pastor's pew. I had to pray and to nail down and bow my head. Yeah. Up there and prayed with my back to the congregation without thinking about it. Yeah. But I had a hole in the bottom of my shoe. Yeah. That was about that big around the bottom of my dress shoes. Yeah. And when the service was done, she came by where I was and she put a hundred dollar bill in my hand and she said I want you to go buy a pair of those real nice wingtip floor some lace floor some lace up dress shoes and she said I want you to get a, have that army brush out and I want you to spit shine them real good and she said I want you to wear them and not say a word about this as long as I live well she ain't living so I can say something about it now and not say a word about this as long as I live she said, ain't no preacher of mine going to have holes in his shoes. <laughs> oh, my, my. Had it been the wrong time, it would have embarrassed me for somebody to see me out of uniform, not being just right. I try to be presentable. I want to look and sound and behave myself like a preacher. But she wasn't chewing me out. She was letting me know she was in my corner. And what I needed that she was going to be there to help me provide it. And she built me up and made me feel like God's man. Hallelujah. She had a discernment about her. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. A spirit of discernment. This spirit-filled woman of discernment puts the will of God first in their lives. Now think about the precious old mother I spoke with years ago. She had three sons who were missionaries. One was in Africa, another in the Philippines, and the other in Central America. She was older, and her husband was deceased, and she told me, Preacher, I admit that I'm lonely, but I'd rather die alone with a joy of knowing my children are serving God in the perfect will of God than to have all three of my boys and their family living in the yard with me and none of them in God's will and all of them unsaved. I mean, she had spiritual discernment and put the will of God first in her life. Hallelujah. Discerning. She has discernment when it comes to putting the will of God first. She has discernment when when it comes to warmth in her heart. It builds a fire in others. Hallelujah. There is nothing like a mother's love. Nothing like a mother's love. Sir, I don't mean to burst your bubble, but the day your children were born, you receded to at least second place or third place in your wife's life. Got news for you. Just the way it works. It's the way it's supposed to work. I don't mean to neglect your spouse. I know people have done that. They've quit treating them like a spouse and started treating them just like their kids' parents. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying that both of you are willing to sacrifice yourselves for the well-being of your children. My mother's always after my dad now to come home and get out of the field. 
Quit working all the time. Quit working late. She's afraid he's going to get out there after dark, turn the tractor over, do something like that. And she won't know where he is or how to find him. And she's, you know, always, always fussing over now about him maybe getting hurt while he's a farmer. And she said, you know, you retired so you could come home before dark. And still, he don't come home before dark. He gets to working on things and gets occupied in things and half the time doesn't eat lunch till 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon and then works on till whenever it's dark and finally comes in after dark and she's all all tore up and worried that something's going to happen to him after dark. The other evening I had a place in the fence that was messed up though. And I needed a, a bale of hay and also needed a uh, I needed a, a, a fence post and I came in after work and found that I needed these things. Went over to my daddy's. He was out there working on a dog pen almost dark. And I told him what I was doing. He said, all right. I said, I'll, I said, I'll go ahead and get this, uh, this uh, fence post. Go put it in. He said, I'll be over there in just a minute with a bale of hay. And so he was pulling in with that bale of hay in just a few minutes as I was putting in a fence post. And he told me, he said, well, said, uh, this actually worked out real well. He said, your mama's been after me all evening to come in the house. He said, I went in the house a while ago just as it was turning dark. And she said, are you finally going to come in out of the dark? He said, well, I was. But he said, told me needs a bale of hay for his calves over at his house. She said, you better get out there and get that tractor and take my little boy of hey Amen. Oh, what I'm saying unto you is her mama will put their children first. There's a fire. Her little boy's nearly 45 years old. And my mama's on social security. But she salted. Listen, she's afraid for my daddy to take that tractor on the road after dark. But when her little boy needed a bell of hay, she didn't care if it was the middle of the night. You better get out there and take my little boy a bell of hay. I'm telling you, there is a fire that burns in a mama's heart for their children and it never goes out. It never goes out. It never goes out. Discernment. And then I marvel at mothers because of their discretion. A spirit-filled mama knows her opportunities are limited. She senses the importance of the moment. She does this by embracing every opportunity. The mother of Jesus stood before Simeon that day as a spirit-filled man lifted up the darling son of God and said, mine eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. And he told Mary, he said, a sword will pierce through your own heart also. But she kept these things in her heart and pondered them. She embraced the moments don't you know that when Jesus was a little baby boy, when he said his first word, she embraced that. When he stumbled around and took his first steps and wobbled about near the furniture at the, at the carpenter shop, that she embraced that. When he learned to toss rocks into the creek and watch them skip across the water, she embraced that. When he sat at the table as just a little boy and he broke bread, Nobody else had ever seen him break the bread. The time would come. He would break five loaves and two fishes and feed 5,000. But that's not the first time mama ever saw him break the bread and heard him say the blessing. And she embraced those things. Oh, my friend, her discretion was to embrace every moment and treasure these things in her heart. And surely you, mom, have done the same. 
You remember those precious memories. You remember those butterfly kisses. You remember those times when you take your little baby girl or boys feed and rub them on your face after they get out of the bathtub. When they're so small they can't even walk. You remember those nights when you grab them up in your arms. They're burning hot with fever. And you sing them off to sleep. Give them a little children's motion. And pray that God would help them. And the Lord stays the fever. And you feel their own bodies come back to the right temperature and you thank the Lord for looking over your children. Cherish these things. Embrace those moments. Amen. Amen. Discretion. Embracing every opportunity. Discretion. Entreating arms always open. I'm not that little boy. I'm not that little boy that used to try to pretend to be a big man. My mother never called me her little boy. She called me her little man. All of my life, my mother told me how important it was to be a man. She never tried to keep me from being one. She always pushed me to be one. If I have a complex about how important it is to be a man, it's not my daddy's fault. It's my mama's fault. Mother pushed me as hard as she could, and she always built me up. And now I'm not mama's little man anymore. I'm mama's grown man. Foot taller than she is. That just happens. But this afternoon, if the Lord be my helper and God lets me live and mom's still around and she makes it to this afternoon, I expect that to be the case. I'm going to go over to mom and I won't have to worry that just because I'm not mama's little boy anymore that mama's arms won't be open. She'll hold on to me the same way she did when I was a little boy. Her arms are always open. I watched my great-grandmother when her sons didn't always do right. She had some mean boys. Some of y'all in the congregation knew some of them. Some of them didn't always do right. Some of them were rough. Some of them spent too much time in alcohol. They would whoop folks. They got uh, really rowdy. They'd be difficult. I'd watch her when it came time for Christmas get-togethers. And here we'd have 30, 40, 50 people at her house eating chicken dressing and fried apple pies. And buddy, she knew how to make all of it just right. Potato dumplings on the table. And I mean all the good stuff. Everything that you could ever want to eat. Every kind of vegetable. And always a watermelon and a tomato cooked. Uh, tomato that was cut there for us. Gravy on the table to put on everything and the perfect sweet tea with a pinch of soda in it to keep the bitterness out. I mean, we had everything that we needed. Uh, but my friend, there usually would be at least one of those rough boys and it wouldn't show up. And Mama, her mom powers would not uh, uh, sit there in the, in the house and rejoice in all that had come. But she'd sit at the table and say, I'm so glad y'all are here. But I I wish this one had come and I wish that one had come. I bet they're off drinking again and she never lost her concern for them. Oh, and when that one would come, some of them I didn't want to see come because if they came, they might not be sober. If they came, they didn't always behave. If they came, they didn't always act right. That's just a little boy. I'd go home and tell my mom and daddy, I wish they wouldn't come. I don't like them. They're rough. They're mean. They don't talk nice. They got bad matters. But when they came in the door, Mom Powers' eyes would light up. And she'd go running to where they were. Wrap her arms around her boy. Oh, I praise the Lord. Thank God that my friend, her arms were always open to an embrace. I remember sitting outside the window when they told her that one of her boys had committed suicide. I was just a little boy sitting in the dirt and hearing that wail. I've never heard a cry like that in my life. Before or since. 
He told my granddaddy, he said, oh, see, why would he do such a thing? Tore her heart out. Her little boy was over 50 years old. But it ripped her heart out. Discretion, entreating arms are always open. I want to say something here. Do you realize that in the Holy, or in the Word of God, the Holy Ghost, though He is a person, when in imagery He is shown, He's imaged as a mother. You remember when the woman had ten pieces? And she lost one and she swept the house and she lit a candle to find it. That is a likeness of the Holy Spirit. And how that He comes looking for us. Hallelujah. How tender He is when we're lost. How He lights the light of the gospel. How He searches until He finds us. Oh, a Father, my friend, His. Her relationship to us teaches us about the Heavenly Father. But a mother's relationship with us teaches about the Holy Holy Ghost and how his arms are reaching out saying come home child come home and she entreats her sons and her daughters that come home unto her hallelujah marvel of a mother is that she's distinguished she's set apart she's different she's of a special place and order there's greatness in her personal forbearance and performance there's goodness in her pure primacy. Mom is number one. It's just that simple. Mom, as little boys, we used to sit in the sandbox and tell you about how my daddy could whoop your daddy. But the best thing you could say about somebody else's mama is nothing or else you'd get whipped. I'd tell you about how my daddy could whoop your daddy and we'd still go play ball. But if you say something about my mama, I'll whoop you instead of playing ball. There's something about mama's primacy. She's number one. She's in first place. Then there is the duration. Marvel of the mother and her duration. How long will the spirit-filled mother matter? What is her relevance? What's the self-time? How long will a spirit-filled mother's relationship to her children really make a difference? I want to tell you forever. You are not irrelevant, Mom. If your children are 70 years old, you're not irrelevant. No matter what place you come to in life. Little woman sat right over here, right about where TJ and Hope are this morning. 95 years old. And she said, my boy is 71 years old and I never stopped praying for him. And God finally saved my boy. Hallelujah. How long will a spirit-filled mama matter eternally? That song, He'll Hold My Hand, as over Death's River I go. The last verse of it said, I want to meet mother and saints of yore in heaven, the home of the soul. Riches are temporary. Youth is fleeting. Beauty is fading. My Christian family is eternal. Will the circle be unbroken? By and by, Lord, by and by. No, there's a better home awaiting yonder in the sky. And we'll be together again on the other side. Hallelujah. Missions of life for mom is chief and her motivation is love. 
The marvel of a mother's love is unconditional and tender. Reminds us of the love of the Holy Ghost that deals with our hearts. I'm finished preaching this morning. I've got to stop here. I have so much more I could say. Preaching on home and family. What the Bible teaches about it. What society has messed up with it. Near to my heart. I enjoyed the tremendous privilege of growing up of a family that really loved God. And that knew Jesus. I knew what it was. I didn't have to go looking to find to find a preacher that was real. Had host of them right there in our family. Little Eleanor Millines would weep over us while she taught the Sunday school class and I respect her to the nth degree. But I didn't have to go to Sunday school to find a woman that wept over me while she taught me about the Bible. Hallelujah. I sat at the foot of the Foot of the rocking chair, right beside the fireplace while my mama did that. Prayed over us with the power of God on her life. Every little boy and girl don't have that privilege, but they all ought to. They all should. Oh my. I never had to run from home. I was always able to run back home. Because it was the greatest place in the world. Was it perfect? Because the people in it weren't perfect. Including me. Maybe especially me. But it was the greatest place in the world. I never thought once when my daddy would whip me. Or my mother would lay it on me. And she'd chew me out just right. I never thought once my parents didn't love me. Not one single time in my life. Amazing, isn't it? I would to God every boy and girl could know that. I would to God every boy and girl in this building could know what it's like to walk in the kitchen with your mama standing at the kitchen sink, washing dishes and singing, and tears dripping off her face while she sings about the love of God. Every boy and girl ought to know what that's like. Every boy and girl ought to know what it is to be in that. Barn working with dad when he starts to testify and sets everything down and just pitches a Holy Ghost fit. <laughs> Hallelujah. Working the other day with my daddy in the field, he crawled, crawled out of the tractor. Although, no one knows when I say crawled out of the tractor, that's what he does. He crawls out of the tractor now. After all these back surgeries and stiff is what he is. He crawled out of the tractor and come down on the ground was telling me about something, got carried away and went to crying. And he testified to the battery went dead on the tractor and I had to jump it off. He had the switch turned on there and he testified in the, in the middle of the road out there until the battery went dead on the tractor and I had to pull up next to it in my truck and jump the battery off to crank it back up. Every boy and girl in the world ought to have that privilege. Oh, more than anything I've ever given my children financially. They've never lived in a fancy house. We've got a good house, and I thank the Lord for a home. We've, they've always driven in dependable automobiles, and I thank the Lord for dependable transportation, but we have never had Rolls Royces and fancy cars. They've not always worn designer clothes, and I don't care, and I'm not interested. Oh, but I treasure the times that I've sat in my Superman pajamas 
Indians tile in the floor and begin to tell them about Jesus and the Holy Ghost. Fill our home and fill our fellowship. Every boy and girl should know what that life is about. Mom and Dad, this morning, if I have done nothing else in my stumbling and stuttering and stammering about, stumbling and trying to preach, I hope I have instilled in you a holy hunger and yearning to have a Christian home, to have a Christian family, to have God at your house and in your heart. Oh, my. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your family matters this morning. Amen. Your home is essential. This world is a great big mess. It's obvious to everyone who will open their eyes. Mom and dad, you are so important today. Pop culture says you don't matter. The government says you don't make any difference. The school says we're the ones that matter. But your influence on your children is essential. They will not get what they need from society. And the church can only do so much in a couple of hours per week. Your family unit is vital and it's time to surrender your home to Jesus. Everybody stand. I've preached what the Lord's laid on my heart. Please forgive me. I've tried this morning to be shorter than I have been the last few weeks. But if the Lord knows my heart, if I've ever preached an important message, is what I'm preaching on this morning. Mama, the Lord loves you. Daddy, the Lord loves you. He cares about your family. This morning, I would invite you, if you need to pray, to come. You want God to be greater in your home and in your life? I'd invite you to come get in this altar. Please be obedient to the Lord. Sing for us when you're ready, Sister Tanya. If you're not saved, if your children do not have a Christian home, you ought to come get right with God. I may not have riches as some others may, but I have a mother. Come to call.